0: Rational Discussion, Common Sense, Open Debate, RCR, Reality Check Radio, with Paul Brennan.
1: Well, we are gaining popularity with our Legal Hub feature. Very soon it will be its own show, and when we're ready for that, you'll hear the details. But in the meantime, every Wednesday morning, we're here talking legal stuff with Katie Ashby-Cobbins and Nick Kearney. And good to have you both back. Legal hub mines.
0: <laughs> Thank you.
1: And you've got a different background this time. I won't I won't mention what the sign that someone's holding in the background is saying. But it refers I to I, it Iron Man.
2: Yeah. I thought yeah. I'd change it up. I thought I'd change yeah. it up. Iron that Man are- That's Kona, that's the big island of Kona in Hawaii, and it's my dream one day to to do the Hawaiian Iron Man, you see. So um I don't think I'll ever get there. Maybe it's an eighty year old, who knows? But uh yeah, that's just a backdrop on that.
1: So it's not the desert road.
2: No, it's
1: the Queen K Highway, they call it. Okay, there you go. All right, uh, plenty to talk about. I was listening to Chantel Baker's show uh, last week and they were sort of pouring over the first uh, drop of the IPCA report, IPCA, or the, what is it, the Independent Police Conduct Authorities Report into the at in parliament. Let's helicopter view up and take a look at it for what it is. Katie, do you want to start?
0: Thank you very much, Paul. So uh, the Independent uh, Police Complaints Authority is tasked with considering the police conduct um, of uh, those which it receives complaints about if the complaints receive um, or achieve a certain threshold in respect to the Parliament protest. They uh, received uh, thousands of complaints and were tasked with considering uh, the police's conduct as a whole with respect to the protest. So they can't consider the government's conduct, they can't consider um, any other organisation's conduct, all they can consider is the police. So um, overall, the report is damning. At every step of the process, the police's conduct uh, wasn't just wanting, it was downright incompetent. Really? mm. Uh, and what is frustrating with the report is that despite all the findings or commentary about this wanting conduct each finding is almost forgiven or explained away that had the police done their job then the result would probably have been the same as it was so that is that their incompetence didn't change the overall outcome which is simply implausible
1: so it what, really is. what so that was the the uh, independent police conduct authority creating This What is it, like a a pass for police in the face of what you're saying is damning findings?
0: Yes, absolutely. And if I just step through a couple of the examples. So I'm going to focus in the first part because we could spend hours, absolute hours on this uh, this report. Let's just focus on the first few days leading up to um, the operation of 10 um, February uh, and those arrests on those days. Mm -hmm. Um, But the examples of the police failings or woeful conduct leading up to that is... Despite intelligence tracking the convoy, nothing was done for the arrival of the convoy, despite a warning order being issued on 4 February 2022 of what was to happen. The police Uh, failed. Wait
1: on, nothing was done. They had the intel. They knew where everyone was at any particular time. They could anticipate, let's say, in their modelling, planning, whatever you want to call it, that uh, there could be uh, outcomes from this if they all arrived and found their way to Parliament, yet nothing, there was no interception, there was no nothing done?
0: Uh, they went away for Waitangi weekend, is what I can infer. They failed to liaise with Wellington City Council about traffic issues um, or establish a traffic management plan. It was obvious there was a large contingent of vehicles moving um, opposite, from opposite ends of the island, uh, and yet they failed to engage. Um, I, I or, could or say, too,
1: also to that, that the council should have known, anticipated that, too. Maybe they did, but
0: hmm, correct. Say. Um The police had the intel. The police were tracking um, the uh, information. They were watching what was happening on socials and, and the like, uh, and they were reporting on, on the numbers of vehicles.
1: So they let it happen, those are my words, but they let it happen.
0: It would seem from the report um, and and is what quite evidently happened is they failed to act. Okay. They failed to give any consideration to the nature of the protest um, or implement any plan, and we can take reference there to the December 2021 protest um, where the police had actually engaged with a 35-page operation order, had 120 staff rostered on, and that was with no confirmed numbers and no engagement with the protest group. And that's in December 2021. So we're talking less than three months beforehand about protests of a very similar nature.
1: Okay. Yep.
0: And the police failed to give any good reason as to why not similar planning was given um, to the February 2022 event. No did, manifesto, did, nothing. No did they attempt to plan. give any
1: reason or just it was an inadequate reason?
0: Uh there was no obvious reason given for failing to, um, er, for, 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 there was no good reason given as to why a not similar plan was put in place.
1: So I, I could say, and me talking again, they've already hit the level of incompetence. They've hit the incompetence bar already. Correct. Okay. Uh,
0: police wander around um, the night before, um, I think it was either the 8th or the 9th of February, Um uh, failed to uh, really gauge the tone or um, flavour of the protest, I guess I could use that term, uh, and then failed to report back um, in a manner which put uh, the relevant people on notice, I think suggesting that the person that was responsible then went home uh, only to find all hell broken loose the next day.
1: Sort of sounds like the Auckland floods, they all went home.
0: Correct. Um, No no
1: urgency shown there, in other words. No urgency at all.
0: No. And that's despite sort of comments from the uh, parliamentary security saying, oh, look, it seems like it's getting a bit busier here and ramping up a bit more and some people have popped some tents up.
1: When the tents go up, you know that they're going to stay
2: a bit. Yeah, interesting. I'll just interrupt for a bit. So I'd read the report, um, well, a lot of it today being the public holiday. I'd not seen it before and I'd not spoken to Um, Katie at all before I started to read it today and I made some brief notes and the first note um, I wrote um, as a basically a summary um, from what I could allude from what I was reading initially the first 20, 30, 40, 50 pages simply said this uh, a a misunderstanding of the scale and size of the protest and general unpreparedness uh, complete unpreparedness for the protest at all and then I wrote the word shambles. Okay, okay. It, it, so it, it was it's been quite it's quite clear in the introductory part of the report. For goodness knows, I mean the thing about this is you know we were all watching on TV uh, what was happening in Canada and other parts of the world, uh, European cities, uh, with people protesting with you know the mandates and, and and the lockdowns and all the stuff that went on, uh, and um, and they got to some very large degree of protests in some of those cities, huge, tens of thousands. Uh, And so it was almost like a worldwide movement. I think to an extent, I don't think it's exaggeration to say that's kind of what it was. Uh, And we had two convoys from the top of the North Island and from the bottom of the South Island moving up and down, converging on Wellington. And, um, and the police literally at the outset just I mean, I don't want to be flippant, but it, my impression from reading it initially, and I don't think I'm wrong with this assessment, is yeah, yeah, we're having a look, Well, I think we've got this sort of thing right. Uh, and in fact, the, the media uh, initially um, asked the police intelligence unit six questions about, you know, um, what what they were planning to do. Have the organisers been in contact with the police? How will the police control the protest as it intends to move up and down the country? What numbers are police expecting? Are police concerned about the involvement of extremists like they were in Canada and truck protests? What preparations will police make for the convoys' destination near Parliament? What actions will police take if drivers attempt to block roads? And this was the day or two before they arrived in Parliament, in Wellington, I should say, uh, media asking the police these questions. In other words, you know, are you on top of this? What's, give me some answers. The response from the police media team was simply this, at page two, uh, paragraph 201 of the report. Police is aware of the planned protest action and will be monitoring it. We will respond to any issues as they arise. I just read that, and, and as I say, when you look at what has gone on around the world, and I would look to, I mean, I followed this sort of protest from afar. I, I never attended, but I, I followed it uh, on social media, on TV, and I could see what was going to happen just as an impartial, member of the public right uh, and and the police seriously completely misunderstood uh, what was about to happen which 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 actually doesn't surprise me because when you think about the um, overall reaction of the of the politicians uh, as well the members of parliament uh, the Speaker of the house uh, they all had um, literally no idea as well and appeared not to really care. About the about the you know the um, the protesters' valid concerns about their livelihoods being ruined for, for two years. So I think from the top down, uh, including uh, I think including the prime minister, the the level had been set uh, of basically you know these people don't really mean much and we're not that concerned about it. We've heard all the complaints before. Uh, I says in the reports you were spoken to. Yeah, I heard all the complaints. I wasn't about to address them again. Uh, And I think that entire attitude just filtered down to the police as well, by the looks of it.
1: That's that groupthink again, isn't it? Because this is the state and its institutions. And I would imagine there are connections at the various layers between those entities, and and they talk. I was going to, you answered the question, but you were in the police once, weren't you? Uh,
2: Yep, yep. I did uh, almost six years in the early to mid-90s, yeah.
1: I mean, how has it got to the point where it's so nonchalant then? Any view on that? And how does that compare with your time?
2: Okay, so that's um, an interesting question because when I was in the police, we had a unit which I was in for about a year called um, TPU, Team Policing Unit. And the Team Policing, you may remember them all. You probably been... Uh, I do,
1: rocking up I, in the Bedford van.
2: Hello, there we go. The black gloves and the baton. Outside and, the yeah, we, nightclub. We, Correct. We used to go through the pubs and pull out the baddies, you know, and lock them up, and get into fights, and and go down to out of control parties, and lock and and you know, and and close those down, and get bottles thrown at you and what have you. So, um, I did that for you know about a year, um, but that that's just one part of our one part of our role. Uh, you know, I, I went to a number of out of control parties um, with hundreds of people, youths on the street, having to try and uh, you know maintain order and get get things sorted out again and shut the party down, and get people moved on and, um, as I say, restore some peace back to the streets. But um, we're talking two or 300, perhaps, partygoers. So reading this report, um, I, I wasn't aware that – well, I yeah, I actually wasn't aware. They've disbanded the notion of TPU. They did that a long time ago. Uh, they call it something else, and it takes on a completely different role now, um, apparently. Um, according to the report, and it doesn't really... Serve. It's
1: called the wellness unit now. It's the wellness unit. The
2: wellness unit, yeah. It's probably the wellness unit, yeah. They're probably... Sit around. It's probably
1: not joking, mate.
2: they probably, probably... Yeah, exactly. And um, they probably all sit around in front of a fireplace and cook their marshmallows and decide what to do after that. But, um, yeah, so I don't think and, and they've got a completely different hierarchical structure now for, I guess, mass event protests. Um, you know, again, I get this from... Um, Reading the report, I don't have, I've got a couple of contacts now still in the police, but I've really lost contact with most of them. So most of them have left or retired now anyway. So I don't have much yeah. to do with them. Um, but read, yeah, reading the report, they do, obviously, it's a whole different structure now. And uh, they were completely and utterly, um, right from the, the commissioner down, uh, and it's clear as day, uh, completely unprepared and unplanned for this protest. And not only the size and scale of the protest, but their internal communication, their internal structures, uh, their planning uh, and everything was completely awry from, from the time the protesters arrived at Parliament, or even by the time they started at Cape Reinga and, and Stewart Island or wherever they started on floor or whatever, but simply just were missing an action completely. And it's and very clear in the report, very clear. You can't have uh, any other conclusion, really.
1: Okay, interesting. So what did we get up to? We were up to, well, no communication
0: no communication was an issue that was rife uh, throughout. Um, the communication they did receive, they failed to act on. Um, I, I think there was this expectation of someone else will look after it. Um, it was a real breakdown, um, and, and it's clearly evident and, and, and articulated in the report. Um moving through to the operation on the 10th of February, which was that big um, event where we saw 108 people um, arrested, um, that operation was decided upon at 10pm the night before.
1: Oh, okay. That's not much, uh, much notice.
0: Nope. And it was done in the absence of any detailed advance planning.
1: So someone got spooked or someone made a call. I'm speculating, but... I mean, how would you explain that? It's like a knee-jerk reaction.
0: Look, it could have happened the following day. Um, It was described as under-resourced and under-prepared team that was hurriedly put together. And that's words taken from the report.
1: That sounds like it's a media event to me. My media mind would tell me um, we need pictures on the TV to maintain a narrative. That's just my suspicious mind at work.
0: It could be that they needed to try and regain the um, uh, the, the the trust and confidence of the uh, Wellingtonians that were being put out um, with the arrival of more and more cars um, on on their footpaths. Uh, look, I, I don't know. Um, they definitely suggest that there is a, a flavour of having to regain the hearts and minds of local Wellingtonians. Um, but who's to say there might have been more pressure um, from? Uh, elsewhere, the other interesting thing um, is that the nature of the operation for tenth of February changed overnight. Initially, the operation was to secure Parliament buildings, uh, but that changed overnight to re- um, a removal of the protesters from uh, Parliament grounds.
1: Okay, so that's quite an escalation.
0: Quite a very a very different. Um, uh, very different operation altogether, um, removing protesters from the grounds, uh, had an element of arrests in it and, and the need to process people uh, and then to also be able to remove people um, forcibly.
1: So that would have been the role, that there would have been some input from the Speaker then, you can assume, because who would make that call if it wasn't him or someone in Parliament?
0: Yeah, and look, they've touched on that. We'll move into the sort of uh, points about trespass shortly. Um, the uh, The whole events around um, the, the 9th and the 10th, uh, is really interesting, and the, and the timeline hasn't been very well articulated. There is supposedly a meeting between uh, the Commissioner, the Speaker, and uh, someone else specified in the report. There's the suggestion that there was no political pressure um, but, of course, there had to be some work and some analysis done whether or not uh, people were acting outside of the realms of peaceful protest such that they could find a reason to um, issue trespass notices and the like. And really all they could latch on to was um, tents and structures uh, being on parliament grounds um, and also um, uh, people staying overnight uh, now, that could have been managed uh, quite easily early on had the police been there earlier on, uh, and they could have simply attended and told people to remove the tents when they were five, ten tents set up, saying, look, come back tomorrow, you're always welcome to come back and protest um, during the day uh, and do so peacefully. You can even do so with a loud hailer, but um, you know, for the purposes of being able to peacefully protest, take the tents um, and we'll see you tomorrow.
1: Yeah, simple. Very. And probably Um, there would have been cooperation in that.
0: I do think so, because I do think that there was uh, respect for the police um, uh, in those early days. Um, I know that parliament uh, security had gone around to talk to the protesters, but I think there would have been um, some, there, there wouldn't have been the same level of respect towards the parliamentary uh, staff member, as they would of, I think, for the police.
1: Do Do we know what sort of relationship the protesters had with the actual parliamentary security people?
0: There's a suggestion by the parliamentary security people that they were um, uh, told to shuffle along or bugger off, um, uh, and that it wasn't as friendly. Um, as it? Yeah. Look, the suggestion is is that it wasn't it wasn't overly friendly, but.
1: Nick, can you can, comment? Can you imagine that decision making process like at ten o'clock at night, let's say, so, suddenly someone decides we're going in in the morning, the preparation sounds like it wasn't adequately done, and but there they are. Does that make any sense in, in um,
2: policing? What was of uncertainty? I oh go back to my days uh, in the police and you, you get a, a neighbor call up and you say, Look, there's an out of control party next door, they're running down the street throwing bottles and hooning and whatever, and you turn up as many cops as you can, uh and you've got no you've literally got no uh preparedness at all you know you just know the street and the address and you might take a couple of drive-bys to see well do, do we go in on the front or the back or how, how is this looking how do we get these people down? you know which end of the street do we shovel them towards to disperse them um so really you have to make some pretty, pretty quick decisions in a space of 20 minutes half an hour uh, but there you're dealing with a different situation young people uh you know sort of 16 18 plus maybe uh, most of them 98% will comply because they don't really want any trouble with the police because you know they're just they're pretty scared. Um you get the old staunch guy who who, who take you on and you know um and try to press his girlfriend or something and you know he, he gets the night in the cells. But um but that's a different situation than than I think here, because here they were mostly all adults um and it was in a different environment, it was parliament, right? So you can't you can't treat parliament as a suburban street on the north shore of Auckland or somewhere else. Um, because it's just, uh, you know, it's meant to be relatively sacrosanct, I suppose. Um, But again, I think it comes back to, and the police actually, uh, in the report, there was a number of uh, police officers who were at that initial, uh, and they called it a skirmish line. So they actually formed uh, a skirmish line, uh, you know, of 100, 150 police around a board of the protesters and tried to push them back out of Parliament onto Maltworth Street, I think. Uh, and then they were given instructions, I think, for, just from memory, that anybody that you know caused trouble or was resisting was to be arrested. And one of their tactics, and they got this from um, their experience in policing mass or protest events, or mass protest events perhaps, is that if you arrest the troublemakers um, firmly and quickly at the start, the rest will kind of just all disappear. Uh, and, that, and that is a little bit my experience too, from the out-of-control parties I used to go to. But I think, again, you had here a group of people who were so determined in their cause for the lives that, you know, that, that had been disrupted for uh, a couple of years, jobs lost, businesses lost, lives ruined, marriages separated, you know, vaccine injuries, et cetera, et cetera. They weren't going to play that game. A- and this is this is what I mean when I say that there was a complete misunderstanding of the whole concept of the protest, uh, obviously from the time uh, the convoy started from the top and, uh, and the bottom of the, of the islands heading into Parliament. Um, so I think, you know, even some of the police that the IPCA spoke to in the report said that that initial 10 February um, operation was a shambles. Um, there was miscommunication everywhere. Nobody knew who was in charge. Um, they were getting, you know, they were getting uh, different instructions from different sort of um, OCs, operating command, you know, uh, operating officers and what have you. Um, And it was basically just, oh, we'll give this a go and see what happens, Uh, really. um, Yeah. And that's about the extent of it. And so, Mm. you know, I like the saying, you know, what's the saying? We've got to do something. This is something. Let's do this. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it never never works. Yeah. mm, Yeah. And on that, um, yeah, police attending the event didn't have the appropriate training. Um, They considered the uh, operation was politically motivated. And um, most of them consider it was doomed to fail before it had even started. Uh, and so we can see that um, a lack of. So uh, that what,
1: was the police, the actual police members saying that? Correct. On the boots on the ground saying that?
0: Correct. And that's
2: not surprising because, you know, they were shipping in police from police collars perhaps. So there's a, up the road of Cororua, they had a few hundred sitting there, whatever, um, other parts of the country. And for literally all of them, Literally all of them. None of them would have been involved in anything like this in their police careers. I mean, we've they, only had the waterfront strike. We've had the, you know, we had the Queen Street riot. We've had the uh, Springbok tour. Uh, well, that Springbok tour was 1981. Um, you know, that was what's that? 40 years ago, sort of thing. Yeah, so, I remember it. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, so me too. And, and well, the Queen Street riot, I think, followed that, but that was a different kind yeah. of a, a thing. So you know, most of these police would never have um, been, no, they weren't around then. Uh, did did you
1: they, say um, members from the police college, would they have been student police or rookies? I think, yeah.
0: I yeah. think that was the later. Yeah, yeah um,
2: the ten, that was I the 10th March, I
0: think, yeah. The, the 2 okay. March event. Sorry,
2: That's,
0: 2 March event, yeah. Certainly but, but the 10th e- March, there was. Even with
2: that in mind,
1: I mean, what are adults in the force doing putting young people in that situation? Um, I'm, a, well, I'm a bit off with that, i got to say.
2: You mean young
1: police recruits? Yeah. I mean, with no experience, uh, that's if they were them. uh, I don't know. But if they were, that's... Yeah, well,
2: they weren't weren't used on the initial operation on 10 February. Um, I'm sure they were. I haven't got that far through the report, but they were were used on the 2nd of March operation. I think
0: they just graduated the day before and perhaps their graduation was pushed forward or fast-tracked so that they could get to Wellington.
2: Yeah. But once you, once you, the first day you at police college, Paul, because you know I, I've been there. The first day you're there, you take the oath uh, as a as a as a serving and, and sworn police officer. So you are a police officer uh, with the um, rank of uh, recruit. Okay, so you have you don't have powers of arrest, um, but you know you you um, for all intents and purposes, if there's a couple of hundred down there, they need a couple of hundred for some huge event like this, then then they're available.
1: Yeah, but it's still a very tough, I won't bang on about it, but it, it, it kind of seems a little um, irresponsible to put, yeah. you know, such fresh people yeah. in in that what, skirmish line or that line of fire. Uh, sure. I, that's the point sure. I would make. Yeah. Anyway. Right. Okay, and so, the police, the police
0: yeah. were also misguided because they considered everyone that turned, well, as I understand it, they thought that the troublemakers or, or the um ones that they needed to identify or or, or grab first um, or arrest were those that were, you know, first um in the convoy. And this was very fluid. Everybody was there as an individual. Um and uh, you know, I think the police thought that um, you know, there were groups and and organizers, but um that, that that would probably be quite a generous um description. Um it was fluid and people were um compelled i think um to go there um as a result of the last two years and people attended for their own reasons but uh, the main was to have their voices heard
1: there there did seem to be a fixation with trying to identify leaders correct of this thing you know as if if you could find a leader you could kind of solve it or do something
0: Mm, correct
1: which is a pretty narrow focus isn't it really Mm. in in that situation that fluid situation what else is there katie we got more
0: Oh, look, uh, so much more. Um, I've sort of picked the eyes out of it, which just goes to show you how the events up to the 10th of February, including the 10th of February, unfolded. But, you know, the expectation that there would be up to 20 arrests maximum on that day and then and, and, um, ultimately having 108, um, a significant number of the complaints arose out of the uh, footage that circulated the world um, on those um uh, following those days, uh, sorry, following the arrests and the police activity on the tenth um, was pretty incredible. And then it just goes to show you this lack of communication, this lack of um, detailed planning, and this lack of um, uh, engagement um, in the operation uh, goes to highlight you know the failings around the trespass um, notice issues um, and you know whether or not people were or were not acting. Um, Uh, So the trespass um, notices that we saw um, or or notifications we saw issued on the 10th, um, most of them have fallen over on the basis that um, they couldn't be upheld because uh, many of the people arrested didn't hear the notices. Um, They were done at the last minute um, without clear notification to anybody, uh, without warning to say, At 10am this morning, if you've still got a tent on site, this will be removed. Um, And we saw all of, well, a good portion of the arrests from the um, 10th of February um, withdrawn, discontinued, struck out, um, because uh, it was just woefully inadequate.
1: Okay, well, that says a lot. This is the day when we saw people being pulled out of the crowd and the woman dragged by the hair. That's the day, right?
0: That's correct. You know, the guy with the the young man with the police uh, holding, uh, yep. sorry, police's full body weight on his head, the um, gentleman that was ripped off the bollard by, um, you know, an Arnold Schwarzenegger-looking um, police officer um, and, and sort of just pulled to the ground. Um, you know, those events, those those ones that will stay burnt in our memories forever. Did um, the police,
1: and- sorry, I'm just asking, Did it, does the report talk about, Heavy handedness in
0: the arrests. police. The report does talk about and allude to some of um, the uh, uh, less desirable events that um, do not ho- hold the police in good light. Um, uh, strategically, they have removed dealing with those issues from this report Um and are doing and dealing with those separately so okay. um, that is uh intentionally done I would say because it would certainly taint um, the report but there is the indication that um that those eight events uh, for which they received a lot of complaints about um those have been that those will be dealt with directly in a later date which um you know if this was done, properly and fairly um, and as a complaints report should be done if it was to deal with the protest as a whole. Uh, my view is is that um, all of the conduct should have been dealt with in this one report uh, rather than carving out this particular conduct which they've identified as wanting.
1: Did, did you perceive the uh, police's um, um, physicality, let's say, Nick, on that day from what you saw as... Proportionate or over the top?
2: I've got three comments. Um, just thinking what Katie was saying, and that that was one of them. Um, we use that word generically, right? That police, uh, police, um, okay, police and that police. Okay, individual police, individual police, men and women. Yet. So, yeah, so uh, look, my my um, my real complaint here with this report, after reading it and then seeing what unfolded and trying to put a you know an answer to your question. Um, I lay the blame, I've got to say, solely at the top brass of the Commissioner, Assistant Commissioner, Area Commanders, Wellington top police officers, and and what have you, being completely unprepared, uh, being um, behind the eight ball from the word go. I've given you the the, the very flippant response to the media request. Um, You know, the the lack of preparedness and planning is, is, is crystal clear in the report. Uh, and I think what happened on the on the second of March was a manifestation of that lack of preparedness and and their basically amateurish attitude to the whole thing from from where to go. So, you know, individual officers, and I don't like to use this term, but they are just following orders, so to speak, right? And for for some of these, you know, for some of these police officers, some of their friends would have lost their job through mandates as well, and they understood because uh, there, I think there was, you know. Two or three hundred cops who lost their jobs, um, perhaps, or were suspended because they didn't want to take the vaccine. Um, so I think for a lot of them, they human too. They have hearts. You know, they they know that this is potentially, perhaps, not right. But it's their job. They've got a, a commanding officer saying, "You you will now do this." And it's, it's an armed service. They really have no option. Um, so then you've got to think. You know, did they go over the top? Uh, it's a difficult situation to be in as a policeman because, you know, um, um, adrenaline's pumping through you, you know what I mean? And you can't stop adrenaline uh, and you're there to do a job and you want these protesters gone and come hell or high water, your job's going to be done and and whatever it takes, you know, it's kind of is what it takes, right? So um, I don't want to, you know... Individualise or or say that you know that officer should not have done that. That officer should not have done this because I know that there's a background story to a lot of these events that went on. All right, so I, I just don't think it's fair to, to do that. Um, I I do think it's fair to criticise the top brass for putting those officers in that position from the very start because it's it's that's where, in my view, the the, the fault lies. Um, having said that, I do know that photo Katie's referring to, and I saw it this afternoon again. Um, and, you know, the, is it planking they're calling that? And I, I was never aware of planking when I was in the police, but this this young guy, he looked like a student, 19 or 20. Um, he had two or three cops on him. He wasn't going anywhere. I and mean, He was a bit like George Floyd, right? He, he, he had 180 kilos on top of him. He's not, he's not moving nowhere, right? And then there's no reason for another individual officer to put his knee on his face and his head, and that was a big knee. Because this guy, you could tell from behind, this guy could squat a truck, you know. So it it was a big, solid guy, policeman, uh, with a knee into the side of the face of the jaw, uh, planking. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that that policeman needs to be spoken and said, well, why was that necessary? To me, it doesn't look necessary at all, right, to be honest.
1: Okay, is there anything more to talk about uh, right here now with the IPCA report?
2: Yeah, I just want to say one more thing. So. Oh, two, two, yeah, two other comments. Actually, the first one, you know, very early on in the report, um, the, the author, I forget who it was. Um, ex- excuse me for my ignorance there, but he he referred to it very early on as the unlawful protest. Mm. The unlawful protest. He made a distinction, or the IPCA made a distinction between protest and occupation, uh, and then and then referred to the unlawful protest. And I just think, you know, that that is. Showing the element, perhaps, of bias or predetermination, uh, particularly when down the track it was it was easily found that the the, the trespass orders which made the protest so far um, you know, a, a, illegal were actually not valid. And the High Court, you know, ruled them so, and that's why eighty charges were dropped. So you can have a you know the right to protest, if that's the way to put it. There is no right to protest no in apartheid rights. It's a right to freedom of association and freedom of speech, and you come together, and that's I guess you can call that a protest. Um, uh, so you, you know that the you can have a a lawful protest, but unlawful actions that take place within the protest. But in my view, um, uh, it goes without saying you cannot have an unlawful protest because because everybody is allowed freedom of association and freedom of speech. They're two rights protected by the Bill of Rights. Uh, now, once oh sure once if those trespass notices were issued, were valid, and they were you know, and in fact they were all trespassing. The occupation probably becomes unlawful, but I don't think the, don't think the protest does. That's the first point I want to make. Maybe a distinction there, but I don't know. Um, and, the only, and the second thing um, I was going to say, you might have to pause it here, Paul. Actually, yeah, there's no problem. Well,
0: maybe I could just jump yeah, on the yeah, back. Of, yeah. Um, just jumping on the back of yeah. that. Um So maybe you can edit this in, Paul. Yep. Um, You know, there was the need to have a finding that. The protesters were acting illegally because the whole basis for refusing to talk to them was that they were acting illegally, uh-huh. and and so perhaps that's an element of it as well. But look, there's you know there's clear requirements to um, and steps needed to issue a, a trespass notice. There's essentially a two stage um, notification, being in writing or oral. Um, And most of the protesters that um, I'm aware of that were arrested that day did not hear these notifications over the loudspeaker um, or or over the um, uh, handheld um, microphone that the officers were going around. um, yeah, like things out. There was no clear notification that Parliament grounds had been closed by the Speaker. And for the most pa- um, part, the vast majority of the protesters that were there were peacefully exercising their rights of freedom, um, of peaceful assembly and freedom of expression. And there was no grounds to issue them a trespass notice um, at all. So it is. The reason why so many of the trespass notices um, failed—not just the failures of the police officers to uh, appropriately manage the processing of those arrests—but
1: um, um, Katie, does that connect back to then the uh, supposed signed signed off by the political parties' um, intention or agreement between them not to meet them because they were considering this an illegal occupation.
0: Um, I don't know the validity of that document. I've seen, um, I've seen that, but we can see in the media that there is a report um, that the political parties had agreed not to meet with any of the protesters. Um, the, um, but that I don't know, I think happened until about maybe the fifteenth or sixteenth of February. Right. Um, is when that's first gotcha. reported on. So we're still dealing at this very initial phase. Yep. Um, and look, the behaviour of the police. Um, And the attitude of the government was the reason why you saw that massive influx of people arriving on the 11th and then staying through. And you see the city um, essentially evolve and grow.
1: So that backfired ultimately.
0: Entirely. On
1: them. They actually ended up with more to deal with.
0: Without a doubt. This was perhaps the biggest, you know, the police acting politically in this regard was the biggest backfire.
1: It's an Um, own goal. Yes. If you want to look at it that way,
2: and, and, and just carrying on the theme, that that's a major, major issue with the uh, inverted commas crime, I suppose, of trespass. Uh, because you know, I was thinking about this at the time because I didn't go to the protest; I stayed in the whole time. But I remember listening to the news and then saying, "Oh, you know, there will be there will be an issue of there was a little trespass thing," and, and I'm thinking, "Well, hang on a sec." Um, if I'd been there and I'd popped out at the time to go on the road to get a coffee and something to eat or or, or go visit somebody right at the pub or whatever, whatever, uh, and I never heard that and I was never issued with any bit of paper and I didn't know what had gone on, uh, then I came back there, you know, three hours later uh, and, and a policeman knocked me on the shoulder and said, you're trespassing. I said, like, well, what are you talking about? Because one of the legal um, issues with trespass is you firstly, you have to be warned. Okay, you have to be warned. Secondly, you have to be given a reasonable time to leave the premises so if if I'd been you know my imaginary scenario, if I'd never been warned, then I can't have been trespassing. And so they made the fatal assumption that everybody at that on that parliament grounds knew exactly they they'd all heard it, they were, they all knew they were all warned, uh, and the people who came the day after the day after that, um, well, they weren't there at the time that that Trevor Mallard issued a, a trespass notice, you know, or issued his warning across the Speaker. So, so he had to do it again for them too, and then the people who arrived the next day for, for them too. And then, I mean, it's just it's just not possible logistically to do. But if you remember the other thing, though, interestingly, uh, didn't didn't the speaker also uh, issue trespass notices against Winston Peters and Rodney Hyde or other members of Parliament?
1: Yeah, that's correct. That's mm. true. Yeah,
2: and they were held to be. I think Winston Peters took them to court, didn't he? To get a declaration. He did to say it
0: was invalid uh, uh, and, yes, and, and,
2: and again it was, was how to be invalid
0: and it was even acknowledged uh, more than it wasn't just invalid so this is in relation to the orders Peters um, ended up settling with the government on his uh, trespass notice uh, and that trespass notice was uh, found to be and I quote being the words from the consent order unreasonable and irrational
1: okay and
0: and and Peter's got settled costs ten thousand dollars towards that, and the crown legal fees for that cost thirty five thousand dollars of taxpayers' money.
1: oh, I'll well, just keep writing the checks mm mm-hmm. um, interesting. Keep going, I'll
2: keep going to work to um to pay the taxes so they, they can they can be afforded you
1: know yeah, I think I'll help too <laughs> mm.
2: So before I read the report um, a few days ago, I read an article on LinkedIn uh, by a, um, a a man who is, claims to be the Director of National Intelligence, New Zealand Police, uh, and he'd read the report and he um, summarised the findings of, of the intelligence, the police intelligence, leading up to the protest. Um, and he wrote that the report concluded up front that police did a good job and served the public of New Zealand well. Um, and then he went on to say, we have found that police intelligence staff provided very good information about the developing, developing protest environment, which they communicated to a wide range of police decision makers. They, identify, they identified the planned protest in a timely way, monitored developments in real time, and provided appropriate information about the nature of the risks it presented. Uh, and, and this guy patted himself on the back saying we did a fantastic job and, and the report validated my work or our work. Uh, well, uh, wow. yeah, that, was, that was before I read the report that three or four days ago. Oh, that's good. Okay, well, did, did, well done, mate, did a good job. That's good on you. Um, I read the report today and I've got to say it's just the biggest load of um, self-congratula- self-congratulatory <laughs> back, back slapping I've ever read.
0: I've really struggled with that um, the whole way through, you know, just listening to Costa, listening to Hipkins and now this guy um, making comments.
1: All right. So that's the IPCA report. And uh, that's going to take up most of our chat here uh, this morning, I would imagine. But there's a couple of other matters that we want to um, just have a quick look at as well. And I've got this is the heading, Tikanga, not a shield to trust's unresolved claims. That's the second time, I think last um, chat we had, Tikanga came up. What's this one all about?
2: Okay. Yeah, so as I explained, uh, I guess a few weeks ago, I'm, I'm actually monitoring this this kind of um, area of development of common law uh, quite closely because I think it's it's going to have some quite uh, interesting, maybe serious, or certainly going to have some ramifications uh, down the track if we keep going the way we're doing. Two kind of systems of law, you know, English uh, common law, then, then Maori customary law as well. Uh, but this this lady here, this case here. Um, she was a trustee of a Maori trust, owned some land, and she self benefited from the uh, her trusteeship, uh, and she did um, because she was actually developing the land. It was all disclosed, but she was developing the land, as I understand it, that the trust owned, and she was getting money from that development and what have you. She shouldn't have been a trustee anyway. She was the, the trust applied to have her um, uh, removed um, as a trustee and sought some sanctions against her for some some of the money back that she had gained. Um, as a result um, And she argued as part of it Part of her uh, defence That uh, Tikanga applied uh, And there was a consideration of Whakapapa And uh, Whanau Nākatanga uh, Tūranga Waiwai and Tino Tīnauranga Tino uh Discussion of precedent on the application of Tikanga uh, In re- relation to the trusteeship of her um, As a trustee of this Māori land uh, the High Court found that the principles of Tikanga reinforced her responsibility to actually repay outstanding judgment debt through the principle of a utu. Okay? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. So so they kind of said, yeah, no, actually it does apply and, and it applies. Um, be, 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 uh, these, these restorative kind of principles actually apply, not the ones that you kind of uh, argued, but these other ones do. Uh, and we're going to introduce Uten as another one. So uh, she's forced to... Uh, Relinquish your trusteeship and pay some money back. But, um, you know, as I say, uh, for most of the listeners, it's probably uh, something to uh, to skip over and, you know, not that interesting. But for me, I just see this development as, um, you know, just the, the doors now wide open for arguments around um, Maori customary law in a whole range of areas, which... I seriously believe actually threatens our the the, the um, Westminster you know a parliamentary democracy rule of law system we have, but we'll we'll see how it develops.
1: It's sort of creeping in. it's on a creep, is it?
2: Yeah, uh, yeah it's on a creep. And once you're up in the door uh, and in law and you allow something to be argued and there's and there's Supreme Court precedent for it, then you know um, uh, lawyers or lawyers and and people will pick it up and run with it for sure.
1: And the submissions are due on the integrity. Sport and recreation bill. What's all that about?
0: So uh this is just let people know uh that there is a sport and recreation bill coming in uh and it goes to um you know integrity of sport essentially. Um it's asked for uh various comments. It closes, I think, on the third of May. Um there well, is a fair- sorry,
1: when you say integrity and sport, what, what does that actually mean? Playing fair? <laughs>
0: So the Right Honourable uh, Grant Robertson, um, who's the New Zealand Minister of Sport, has stated that this bill uh, will help to protect the wellbeing of participants and their fairness of competition. Uh, and look, that's all well and good, but given the recent um, uh, move and uh, ideation around um, transgender sports persons, uh, it looks like there could be some space made um, in uh, this act to allow um, that to be more prevalent issue, um, so supporting um, and promoting participants um, not necessarily based on their um, their original birth sex. So, uh, there's a, a great website um, that I've been reviewing and keeping an eye on it. It's uh, headed up savewomenssport dot com uh, and. That's got some really useful information, also, as well as um, identifying some of the um, uh, points that they take issue with uh, with respect to this bill.
1: I'm trying to decode into simple, plain man's language because that's all I can cope with. So, that is making creating more opportunities for trans people to compete in their chosen gender. So, imposing some might call it that uh, males into female competition. Is that what we're talking about?
0: Yes, potentially. The way that um, the uh, bill is currently absent, a few definitions, including the definition of sex, um, the definition of integrity, uh, confirmation that sex refers to biological sex at birth and not gender identity, uh, definition of female uh, and the like. Uh, there's a real concern that perhaps this integrity bill is um, might be at odds with uh, what it's trying to achieve or suggest that it's trying to achieve.
1: Okay, and submissions, what do you think about submissions on a bill like this? Because there's a lot of public debate, right? And it's pretty clear where I think most people lie on this. They could expect lots of submissions in this case, or do you think people are, oh, yeah, whatever, you know?
0: Uh (laughs) Look, I think people, it's um, your democratic obligation to um, make a submission if you agree with something, and certainly if you don't agree with it. It's a matter of public record. Um, I do have to say, having appeared and presented um, on a number of select committees, uh, being able to do so remotely has been particularly strange. Sometimes there's not even a person appearing on the screen. Um, Sometimes there's one or two people appearing on a screen which just look at you with such disdain um, or roll their eyes or you'd probably prefer them to be with their screens off vacuuming their house. Uh, with the level of interest that they uh, that they show to you. But then again, there's been some select committee members that have been really interested and, and really engaging and have asked some questions. But uh, I guess if your question is whether or not to do it or not to do it, it is a matter of public record to prepare, prepare and I file. mean, will
1: it make any difference, essentially? Would it make any difference? It seems like, you know, there's a forcing function here.
0: I would hope that it would make a difference, um, certainly writing to all of the MPs and, and expressing um, your views certainly um, helps, um, probably more so than writing to the select committee um, because the select committee are um, public servants. They're not necessarily uh, voted in. Uh, they're just employed. So I would hope that they make a difference, but also preparing your submissions and then sending them to your local members of parliament is pretty Pretty powerful too, um, you know. Letting them know that you oppose it and it will be an election loser for them um, can certainly uh, help sway the attitude or, or or the view on a particular bill.
2: Eighty thousand people uh, opposed free waters bill. Uh, Eighty-eight thousand opposed free waters, and and the select committee uh, Or the government just said, "Oh, they're pretty much all the same. They're just kind of pro uh put out by the taxpayers' union or somebody else. Uh, you just put your name on it and put it in." We'll just treat that as one submission.
0: Great.
2: There you go. <laughs> you okay. know, so, so there we go. It, it, it answer your question. You know? um, yeah. but, but what this bill also does is it, it, it opens the door for a, uh, a male uh, person who says that they identify as a female and wants to uh, compete in a female sporting competition. Uh, To claim discrimination against an organisation that says, "Sorry, you can't," right? uh, Because because you'll have an unfair advantage, or we don't, you know, you're actually still a guy, guy, um, you know, whatever. So it's not clear at the minute how that conflict between that and human rights act, which which you know prohibits discrimination based on um, sexual identity and gender and stuff, um, how they're going to work together. But this is what um, this is one of the concerns that the bill has.
1: Okay, and just to finish up. Um, Katie, you had some correspondence.
0: Mm, mm, A really interesting query this week. Uh, So uh, someone wrote in and asked uh, about a situation that they had uh, recently come across. uh, And that was um, a a, a transgender person was in uh, women's bathrooms um, at a uh, community swimming pool. And when this was raised with the manager of the pool, uh, they were informed that uh, this person's um, ideology had to be respected uh, and, um, you know, there was nothing that the pool could or um, were going to do about it. So um, the question was, is what's options open to uh, to a person that's attending the pools? And we've thrown around a few ideas um, uh, about what, you could do uh, in respect to you know making very large loud announcements speaking very loudly in in the um you know publicly in the pool area and letting people know but if that's not something that hey, you wish to do and you'd like to engage more on the legal step um, one of the suggestions that we had was um you know this, there's a responsibility of a um, person in control of a undertaking or business to keep people safe under the work safe um, legislation. And that includes customers. So in this situation, um, you've got uh, people being put at risk of a harm. That harm is potentially a psychological, if not physical, risk by having a male in the female toilets, uh, and my thoughts are that um there would be the ability to raise an issue with the pools under the WorkSafe Act um for failing to reduce that harm as much as possible. And the straightforward solution to that harm um and resolving that harm is um you know to uh require, you know, people that are identifying as something that they're not um uh Born originally, um, that they simply just utilise um, individual bathrooms or change facilities, uh, be it the family change room um, or, or um, you know special needs toilets um, or, or the like. So there are there's an easy solution to reduce the risk uh, of the harm, and that's the one that I would certainly be um, forcing or encouraging. If the um, if the pool doesn't do anything about it, then raise that with WorkSafe, WorkSafe um, have the ability to investigate um, harms. And likewise, reach out to the police and also mention um, that you've got concerns that there is a man in the um, uh, female toilets. Uh, the police have um, the uh, sex offenders register that um, certain police officers are able to review. Uh, and I think you'd be well within your rights raising concerns um, of, with the police about... Um, a man in the female toilet.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, Um, that's putting the transvestite debate
0: away. That's not even going there. This is just, I'm just talking very much the facts.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, that would have been a no-brainer not too long ago, but anyway, it's another story. Well, there's always, uh, well, there's never a dull moment in the law, is there? (laughs) I'm finding out. Uh, Another uh, great chat. Really uh, good to uh, sort of pick through the, uh, that part that we did pick through of the IPCA report. T. Kanga again. I don't think it's the last time you'll mention T. Kanga. I, uh, I, I, I might give you a breakage. We will have a, uh, uh, an update every show. Yeah. And you've just heard about the integrity in sport and recreation bill. The submissions um, are, are due. So I'd like to thank again Katie Ashby Cobbins and Nick Kearney, our legal hub team, for coming on RCR Radio Breakfast Show again. Thanks, guys, and we look forward to the next one. Maybe we could look uh, more at uh, if there's anything else in the IPCA report to pick over. Maybe we could do that, but let's see what comes up.
2: Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paul. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.